them and introduced ourselves. And uh, anyway, um, then he asked us, you know, he said, it's time for us to pray. Well, I don't know how many surgeons you hear, but that's a pretty comforting feeling if you got to go under the knife that the doctor's saying, let's pray. And then he says, we want to talk to the one that can do it because I can't without him. Amen. So I got a lot of confidence, all confidence in God, but I got a lot of confidence in Dr. Brantley. In fact, you know I do because he did a double hernia operation on my wife. I don't just let anybody cut on my wife. Y'all with me? Say amen. Now, if I have to go under the knife, that's who I want, you know, operating the knife as well if I have to go. So y'all keep that in mind, all right? But nonetheless, um, more than the surgical side of it and more than serving our country, more than uh, his accomplishments um, and, and, you know, his graduate from, uh, from the University of Maryland, Baltimore, and uh, we know he's a great man because he did his residency and internship at LSU Medical, and so... Uh, Anyway, I wore my purple socks for him today. Uh, it says Go Tigers on the back of them, you know. And uh, nonetheless, so uh, by the way, I mean, I mean, our color was purple today. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't think I should wear the big tiger on the back, though, like I did a while back. <laughs> anyway, but nonetheless, he's a great friend of mine. But when I saw two weeks ago, or at least a week and a half ago, what was unfolding in our country, uh, the shooting of uh, the black men, and uh, I'm assuming there's white guys shot too, et cetera, et cetera. And then I see the unrest, and then I read the rush to judgment. I, I see things on Facebook that shouldn't be there by people who call themselves Christians, and um, just on both sides of the issue. And I see that, and I'm thinking, man, the church has got to do something. The church has got to lead the way in troubled times. The church has got to stand up. Far too long we have sat silent and done nothing. And so I believe it is upon the church to show the world and to show the community Jesus Christ. I believe it is Jesus is the greatest unifier that has ever been. Amen. And we can rally around him. And so the first name that popped in my mind, I knew that last week I would address the, the church on the crisis in America. And then I felt like that, that it, we probably needed to go further. And then I'll just go ahead and tell you next week, if the Lord will help me, I'm going to preach a message entitled, Where Do We Go Now? And Because we're trying to deal with this stuff, and, and last week, if you didn't catch it, go on YouTube and you can. Uh, and today I'm going to ask you to go on YouTube later to catch Dr. Brantley's 9 o'clock message, which is different than this message. But uh, his name popped in my mind, and I said, well, you know what? I, 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 I look at him as a friend, as a confidant. Um, he looks out for me. It wasn't too long ago he called me about a pretty serious matter. And um, I said, hey, brother, if, if you feel this strongly about it, I'll guarantee you we'll deal with that issue. And we did. And I'll just suffice it to say it, it, it was pretty crucial. But nonetheless, um, I count him as a friend. I value his opinion. He's a man of integrity. Um, he's black and I'm white, and we are brothers. I want you to know that. Amen. So at this time, I'm going to ask him if he'll come on and uh, just obey the Lord, and we're going to have a great time. So give the Lord a big hand of praise, if you will, as Dr. Brantley comes. What about now? There we go. Pray for me, Pastor. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. Praise and honor belongs to God. And we're here this morning in this house primarily because he is king and he has blessed us in a mighty way. Amen. Let's bow our heads, Heavenly Father. We thank you for this day. We thank you for an opportunity to one more time stand up and proclaim your word. Have your way right now, Father. Break stiff necks, Father. Prick hearts, Lord. Father, not according to Pastor Sang's way or my way, but let thy will be done. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So I think Pastor Sang's did a really good job of kind of setting the tone. Uh, is there anybody here that has not seen, heard, or felt 
some of the stress and strife of the racial division in our country? Anybody? Good. So nobody's been traveling out of town or been in a coma or... <laughs> We've all been here. So that's a good starting point because we'd have a problem if somebody says, well, I don't really think that that exists. We all know it's, it exists and we're dealing with it right now. And I'm here because Pastor Sings is an anointed man of God and loves people, and he reached out with his heart to me, not to try to prove a point, not to try to earn brownie points, right, not to try to score with anybody, but because he said we need to do something, and I'm here. We met before this Sunday, and we sat down, and we talked a little bit about the specifics, and the other thing that I really love about him is I said, you know, Pastor, I've been through a lot. I've been a lot of places. I've seen a lot of this on both sides through the years. I said, but you know, I've come to a point now where for me it's less black and white and it's really all about Jesus. And he said, good. <laughs> and, you know, that's important to me, right, that I have a brother that's connected in that way right, because we're not here to pander, we're not here to stir up, we're not here to convince you of anything in this world. All we're really here to do this morning is to remind you of what God has already laid on your heart. Amen? And so earlier at 9 o'clock, we talked about the personal choice that we all have to make, and Pastor kind of talked about that a little bit, he kind of led you through that, but I want to just kind of give you this balance. We really celebrated that personal choice, and your personal choice makes a difference, Okay? Makes a difference. I want to do a quick little exercise. I want you to close your eyes. Okay? And I'm not going to call on you. Don't worry about having to share this. This is all between you and God. Right? I want you to imagine, I want you to envision right now the image of the person who you think is causing the most trouble in this land and in this world today. Whatever that image is. Man, woman, black, white, Muslim, Christian, young, tattoos, no tattoos, earrings, whatever, uniforms. I want you to see that person. Get that person clearly in your mind. Not a group of people, that person, okay? And I want you to open your eyes and look at me, and I'm going to tell you what God sent me to tell you. That person is not your problem. That person is not your problem because we wrestle not with flesh and blood but principalities. And so what the world wants you to believe is that somehow there is a person, there are people that you have problems with. There's somebody that can take from you, right, what you are entitled to have. And what we found out this morning, what we remembered this morning is that my biggest problem is the man in the mirror, right? Because not a black thug or white thug, not a black officer or a white officer, not a Muslim, whatever, not somebody in France driving a truck. There is nobody that can take from me what Jesus has given me. And so if no other man can take it from me and no other man could give it to me, then I have no reason to fear that man. And so what was previously images of fear and hate and disdain and disrespect are now opportunities to love. Because how I deal with each and every individual is a manifestation of my heart, right? How I deal with Pastor Sainz didn't determine how, whether I go to hell or heaven, right? But what it does is it reveals the condition of my heart, and my heart will determine where my eternal resting place will be. So be careful that every time you have an opportunity to interact with someone, all right, be careful. You are auditioning for God. All right? God wants to know, are you ready yet? Are you truly mine, or are you still wrapped up in this worldliness? Amen? Amen. So this morning, the impossibility of God. Why? Why do we talk about that? Because I want you guys to know, when we are looking out here today, and every day somebody is blowing something else up, amen? Shooting somebody, killing somebody. The videos have just gotten ridiculous. My mother, my grandmother never had to look at her phone or computer or TV and watch people bleed to death. And that is now commonplace. We look at this, men are meeting, there's this council and this group, and the president's doing this, and this group is doing that. And guess what, guys? 
No one has an answer. Why? Because with men, this thing is impossible. If men could fix this thing, it would have been fixed already. But if we look at Matthew 19, part of a familiar story, we go right to 26. It says, but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men this is what? With men this is what? But with God all things are what? Possible. And I need you to hold on to this. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, this comes from a very familiar story to most of you. This was the rich young ruler who found Jesus, recognized Jesus, knew who Jesus was, called him good Lord, right? And said, what can I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, fine, keep these commandments. He said, hey, since I was little, I've kept these commandments. I've done the right things with my hands. Jesus said, great. So now I'll go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And then the Bible says the young man turned and walked away with sorrow in his heart because he had a great many possessions. And I want you to remember this as we talk this morning, that over and over again, men know God. They recognize God. They come to the foot of the cross and say, here I am, God. And God asks something of them, and they turn and walk away with sorrow in their hearts because their hands were right, right? The young man was doing the right things. He was coming to church and tithing and going to Bible study and going to small groups and participating in the projects and going to Guatemala and building houses, but his heart could not turn loose the things of this world in order to walk and follow the master. And so then the disciples, I love this, they go, whoa, so then who can be saved if that man can't be saved? And that's when Jesus says these words, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So we stand here today in 2016, and we hear these common phrases, Lord, I've never seen it this bad. Lord, what's the world coming to? We're going to hell in a handbasket. Lord, right? It's doom and gloom, and we just don't know any way out. And guess what? With men, this looks very impossible. But glory be to God that we serve a God that specializes in the impossible. Why? Because if he worked where it was possible for men, when he worked, you wouldn't know it was God, and you might think that it was man. If it was something that Pastor Sainz was capable of doing and it got done, you wouldn't know, was it God or was it Mike Sainz? But what God does is to step into the impossible so that when we have tried everything, when we have looked everywhere and none of that works and it happens, we say, now if you've been watching me on Facebook, I know some of you have, right? What's my favorite hashtag? But God. So you don't get to the but God until after you have stepped beyond man. See, the but God comes in the midst of the impossibility, in the midst of the impossible made possible by God. It makes you go, Lord, hallelujah, but God. So we think there are certain things that are impossible. Well, some of that is because we have short memories. And I love the Bible because it says in Romans that the Holy Spirit would bring all things to remembrance. And that's important because sometimes we think that where we are, we've never been before. And what we need, God has never provided before. But let me tell you that the impossibility of America was made possible by God. I'll read this statement to you. The impossibility of America, it's religion. We worship here today men and women of different races and backgrounds paying no tax to the state or a state church, claiming a personal right and access to a single almighty God that is moved by our prayerful petitions. This is the America we know and love. This is the America that was impossible with men but made possible by God. 
while you were looking around and listening to CNN and MSNBC and Fox News, and they're selling you doom and gloom, they're saying how you've got to buy a whole bunch of guns and a whole bunch of ammunition where you got to dig a hole and go bury your family in it when they tell you that either the president's going to save us or Trump's going to save us or something's going to save us, but we don't know, take a step back and look around you. Look at this statement and look around you. We are in a church, brothers and sisters, black folks and white folks. We are in a church, men and women, sitting in the same pews on the same levels. This was impossible with men. We are in a church that claims one God. We are in a church that claims that we have access to God directly, not through a priest, not through a special man, but us individually, and that he listens to us. This was impossible with men, but made possible by God. We started with Jesus in a ragtag handful of men. Anybody see the movie Risen? It's fiction, but one of the things I like about that movie is that it really shows the existence of the disciples. These were not men of place and prominence. They were poor. They were fugitives from the law. They went from house to house, whoever would sneak them in the back door and give them a few hands loaves of bread, a little bit of water to drink, a little bit of olive oil, huh? but they sat at the feet of Jesus and they loved. How can you go from that handful of tax collectors, fishermen, to what we see here today that is impossible with men, but possible with God? And then some think what saved us was Constantine, who came along in the 300s and made Christianity right? The Roman law. Oh, it put us on the map as Christians, didn't it? Well, it kind of sent us down a wrong road. When you look at the hierarchy, the popes, the robes, the liturgy, the ritual of the Roman Catholic Church, it didn't look much like the Church of Acts. And today, if we're really honest, our churches look more like that church than the Church of Acts. But God. But God. And then we talk about America. But you know, America didn't start as America, right? It started as a colony, right? And a group of colonies. And some of the people who came were trying to get away from the religious experience in England, right? What was that? Trying to escape the Church of England. And what was the Church of England? Henry VIII married a woman. And he wanted a son. She couldn't bear him a son, so he wanted a divorce so that he could marry another woman. The Pope wouldn't give him a divorce, so he left the Catholic Church with his whole country so that he could get another woman so he could make a baby. That's history. That's the Church of England now. We would consider that a little nutty, right? But even out of nutty, a couple of years later, uh, he had a decree that said, you know what, I want to put a Bible in every individual's hands. See, prior to that, the Catholic Church wouldn't let us have Bibles. Only certain people could have Bibles. So even in the midst of this kind of nutty guy chasing a son, right, God has put a Bible in your possible with man, possible with God. But how did we get here today? Because it's easy to think that we've always had this. We haven't, right? We haven't. The first colonies, right, of the Americas, it's not built on religious freedom. Jamestown, 1607, that wasn't about religious freedom. Guess what it was about? Money, right? Remember the young man, our young ruler here? What was his problem? What couldn't he get rid of? What couldn't he separate from? Great possessions, money, right? That was right, the start of America, there, Jamestown, money. Then the pilgrims came. Then we had the Mayflower, right? Now we got 1620. This is down the road a bit. And we've got now the separatists that said, you know what? I don't like the Catholic Church. I don't like the Church of England. We're looking to be free. 
But even the Mayflower only had about 40 religious folks on it, 102 altogether, 30 crewmen. Right? They didn't make up a third. But there, this nugget of religious freedom started. But did their religious freedom look like this? Is this what church looked like in Plymouth? <laughs> no, but God. Right? See, as we see riots on TV and people blocking highways and all this discord, and we go, oh, that's not right. Oh, America would never do that. That is how America got here. We have had strife and crises, and we have lived through it. And guess what? We will live through it again. The question is, will you come on the other side of it standing as a beacon of light and God, or you come through standing as a beacon of hate, distrust, and money? Even in Plymouth, right, things didn't look like this. Roger Williams in 1644, right, had to go and separate and start Rhode Island. Why? Because they started killing people in Plymouth that didn't worship like they did. Right? They started persecuting people, including women who just wanted to proclaim the word of God. That wasn't this. And even in 1782, I'm sorry, 1682, we had the, the great holy experiment in Pennsylvania, where William Penn now said, we're going to have religious tolerance. Yep, we're going to do it no matter what. We're going to do it. We want to make this look like the Harbor Worship Center right here in Pennsylvania. Guess what, guys? Women still couldn't vote. Slaves weren't included. Jews and Catholics could come into the colony, but they had no rights of men. It didn't look like this. What we have here is special. And God took that impossibility and made this possible. But God. And then we had the first awakening, 1740. Oh, my God, Whitfield. Woo! Those sermons. Huh? The Great Awakening, the first in America, even before the, the, the revolution. And now we start individual priesthood of men working toward this. Still not there yet. And guess how we got here, guys? You think it was all one big camp meeting? Everybody sat around, drank sweet tea ate pulled pork sandwiches, and said maybe we ought to change a few things. No, there was strife. You get a chance, Google the, the, the Bible riots in Philly, all right? So the Catholics wanted to come into the public school system and introduce the Catholic Bible, and the Protestants there said, oh, no, 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 no. They didn't go have a meeting. They didn't go have a barbecue. They fought in the streets over their Bible. So when you see this on CNN today, when Anderson Cooper tries to tell you that it's all the fault of you religious nuts, we've never had this in America, this is all your fault, tell him, but God. Because we have seen trials and tribulations in America before, and we have moved through them. The one thing that we know for sure is that God is moving his people from the initial creation to a place of fellowship with him, and either you're going to go with that or you're going to be moved and rolled over by that, but that's not going to change. People who won't submit to God, people who won't submit to love and respect, people who will not give themselves over to the truth of God will be rolled over by the truth of God, and there will be some strife. There will be some pain. There will be some struggle, but God. And here we are today. Look at us. This is amazing. This is a miracle. But you won't know it if you don't look back, if you don't read back, if you don't study back just a little bit to see from where God has brought us. Get your face out of Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and just come to church and look around and shout that his praise will forever be on my lips. Because my eyes have seen what couldn't have been and is. What man said had no way of becoming a reality and is today. I love the Lord. He heard my cry. 
and pitied every groan. The impossibility of America, its government, look at this statement. We worship here today while our nation debates equal protection under the law for every citizen as we seek a more perfect union. This is the America we know and love. This is America that was impossible with men made possible by God. Understand, guys, just the fact that we are debating equality, just the fact that we're having a conversation about equality is in of itself a miracle and rests solely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. No other nation in the history of mankind has had to have this debate because it was not founded on the shoulders of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The conversation that we're having is a miracle. It was something that is impossible with men made possible by God. Understand what happened with the Declaration of Independence, right? These truths that were found to be self-evident, that all men, all men, right, were given certain rights that are inalienable by other men, not by men, not by their owners, not by their proletariat, not by the czar, not by the king, not by the prime minister, but by their creator. Now, you know, this is where, you know, sometimes it gets sticky in these conversations. You got to know a little something, right? Because Native Americans, black people, right, women, right, they'll jab you in the side right here. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want to hear about that because when they wrote that, they were slaves. When they wrote that, they were exterminating Indians. When they wrote that, women didn't have the right to vote. That's like an interesting point, too. You realize that white women in America got the right to vote after black men? It's kind of interesting. Look at that. (laughs) But understand what we talked about. This thing is about a process. God is still moving us through. And along the way, what he's doing is he's using people who are willing to be used by God to draw other people to the truth of God so that they will become one day glorified, sanctified, spotless. They're not spotless while while they're being used, right? They're not perfected while they're being used, but they're moving through to a place of perfection. And so if this building caught on fire and you knew that I was a liar and a cheat, but I said the building was on fire. You're going to stand here and let it burn down around you? See, even liars, right, can speak truth. Right? Even people who are confused can be used by God. God used a burning bush. Now, would it make sense for us to think that then all bushes were special? That that particular brand of bush was special? That that bush was holy? Where, should we get caught up so much in the bush that we lose fact, the fact that somebody used a burning bush in a way that nobody else could? And maybe that should be the object of our worship and not the bush. The Bible says that even the rocks can be made to cry out. That doesn't make the rock special. That makes whoever can make a rock cry pretty special. So don't throw out the truth of Jefferson and Adams and Franklin because they weren't perfect men. Don't throw out what God placed in their minds and in their hearts, what they wrote, even though they thought it was just for this handful of people. But God knew what he was going to use those words for. Every servant of God does not know at the time the fullness of their service. The world, the atheists, the haters of God, the haters of love want to then point to the imperfection of men who spoke the truth of God and say they must represent the imperfection of God. No, that is not true. Our very government is an impossibility with men made possible only by God. And governments all over the world are struggling because they cannot answer the question, why? Why should there be equal rights? Why should there be equal protection? Because if you take God out, 
then there's no good reason to do it. You only do what is expedient at the time. You only do what is most profitable. You only do what's most convenient. You only do what the majority of the people say. And so today they say give women the right to vote. Tomorrow they say no. Today they say a black man can be a slave. Tomorrow they say no. Then the next day they say go back. All right? And there's no system of accountability. There's a quote that says if there's no absolute truth by which to judge society, then society becomes absolute truth. If you don't have an absolute objective moral reality that says this is right and this is wrong and it's always right and it's always wrong, then it just becomes situational. And it changes with the circumstance. But thank God that we serve a God that's not a God of circumstance. He is a God of truth and his truth endures forever in this year and the next two centuries ago, two centuries to come. He is unchanging and we will hold on to God's unchanging hand. The impossibility of our American melting pot. Look around, guys. It's not perfect, all right? If you are a part of a family, I want you to raise your hand. Good. Now, if you're a part of a special family that has no strife, no dysfunction, everybody loves each other perfectly, there are no disagreements, they all speak, right? Everything is absolutely perfect, raise your hand. <laughs> not very difficult, is it? All right? Look around you. I don't care, right, what the TV says. I don't care what Facebook says. I don't care what Instagram says. You are my family. We are Americans. I am different now than other people, other places. This is my home. This is my family, and it is not perfect. But it is not evil either. I refuse to throw out the baby with the bathwater. We are a special people. We are a special land. We are the best hope for the universe, and I'm not going to throw that away. From the very beginning, this was not meant to be, guys. This is the harsh reality, right, of how we came to be. In England, there was strife because they had stopped planting food and started to raise wool, right? They could make more money raising sheep and making wool than planting food, and people started to starve. And there was strife, and they were looking for other places to cultivate and other places to make money, and so they went out around the world to try to find other places to do what? To make money. That was the goal, right, of the speculation that fueled the exploration of the Americas. We need to find more places to make more money. And when they found a place, they said, well, what are we going to do? Because you know what? It didn't look like Camden County. It was a pretty rough place back then, right? They said it was wild and full of swamps and big old gators, right? There was no 40 and no 17 and no I-95. You got off the boat right in the middle of a swamp face, right, with palmettos everywhere. That's a hard way to go with no air conditioning. And so all the rich guys back in England said, well, no, 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 no. I'm not going there. What are we going to do? And some smart rich guy in England said, you know what? We've got all these poor and homeless people sitting around here that we're trying to figure out what to do with. We keep locking them up, but we don't know what to do with them. We can't execute them all. Let's send them over there. All right, let's let them cut down some of those palmettos. All right, we'll send them over. We'll let them clear a place, and when they build the mansions and put in the roads, then we'll come over. All right? But we'll run it and make the money and own it back here in Britain. And guess what? Not only did they export people that they didn't want, they exported their silly little class system. See, they didn't have black slaves then, so they had white indentured servants. And they had this apprenticeship kind of thing that was like white slavery. And they had these tiers of people, right? And when you were at a certain level, you couldn't get to another level, right? Even beyond the monarchy, we're not talking kings and queens, just with the rich folks. It was like set in stone. They had names, 
of the levels, you know? And they did certain things, like judge the whiteness of your skin. Guess what? You guys see me? I'm a black man. You go, oh, he's black, right? None of y'all are white enough to be in that level, right? right? Of the English that sent over and made all that money up front. None of you would pass, okay? They were serious about that whiteness thing, all right? And nobody here would be in. We're all in this thing together. And this was the system that was started and perpetuated through the colonies. Yes, when we declared our independence in 1776, we had been here for a while, and we had that class system kind of ingrained. And there were people who could own land and people who couldn't. These are white people. We ain't talking black folks. And this was not meant to be. It wasn't supposed to be a middle class. There were the owners and the planters, and then there were the servants, and that was it. Read your history. Even Georgia was a phenomenal experiment, right? When they said, you know what? Let's make a place, a colony, the last colony formed, where there was no slavery. This was a free labor experiment. Because even back then, some white men looked and said, you know what? Slavery is bad for other white men. Because white men that own slaves tend not to like work. And that's a bad thing. For a man to be close to God, a man needs to understand work. He needs to make something with his own hand and be proud of what he does. We need to have work. And we got too many white people that aren't working. Read your history. And so they tried to make Georgia a place where the outcast white man, the low class, the place where he couldn't find any other place he could come and get land and build something with his own hand. No land speculation here in Georgia. Every man lived on land he owned and he worked for himself. That was a great experiment that failed. Why? Because rich people, the same problem we see with the rich young ruler, had great many possessions that they can't turn away from. But yet here we are today. White men, black men, poor men, rich men, working with an opportunity to go from nothing to something despite everything they tried, despite everything that was impossible with man made possible by God. I'm not going to throw that away with a, quilly, a silly little debate over terms and names. All lives matter, black lives matter. Okay, Jesus' life matters. You want to talk to me about movements? Then let's talk about movements. If you want to throw names around, I'm not going to play that game. Because Jesus, God of the universe, died on a cross for me. When I was not fit to live and was not fit to die for me. Gave me access to a place, to a life, to a being that none of you could give me. Black or white, black lives matter, all lives matter, made me free in a way that can never be taken from me. And so I'm not going to play your games. I'm not going to be fooled by the enemy to get mad at my brother, to can't eat with my brother, can't speak with my brother, can't share with my brother because of what Hillary Clinton did. Hillary and Donald Trump eat the same places that none of us can go to. They're the members of the same country clubs that none of us can join. Their kids go to school where none of our kids can go, right? They get jobs that none of our kids can have. And they have you and I down here at the Piggly Wiggly, right, throwing bottles and fighting. And all of them talking about how they're going to do more for you and not one of them saying that this country needs more Jesus. We don't need more money. We don't need more walls. We don't need more laws. We don't need more regulation. We need more Jesus. Because when men couldn't figure out how men might live together, when men couldn't figure out how churches might come together, when men couldn't figure out how we could worship and praise together, God knew how to do it. And so I'm not going to get caught up in the possibilities of man, but in the impossibility of God that he has brought to our fruition right before our eyes. 
If you don't believe me, just talk to an old person. It ain't been that long since things were greatly different right here. And yes, there's going to be some stress because men don't like change. Because usually when things change, they have to give up some of their great many possessions, and they don't do that very well. If a man won't give up his stuff for God, what makes you think he's going to give up his stuff for you? You so busy running around trying to get a bunch of likes and a bunch of friends on Facebook, right? They crucified Jesus, y'all. Yeah. Right? Can I say y'all here, Pastor? Right? Who had done nothing. He hadn't shot a cop, right? He had no record, right? No domestic violence. He didn't resist, right? One of his boys did cut off somebody's ear, but it wasn't him. <laughs> right? And they killed him. But somehow you want something different. Somehow you're better than Jesus. Somehow right, you're not supposed to get any hate, right? You're not supposed to have anybody call you names, right? You're not supposed to have anybody, you know, offer you any kind of resistance to your life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That ain't a God thing. That's a world thing. All Jesus promised you was more butt kicking. That's all he promised you. Francis Schaeffer, right, great 20th century theologian, said what has killed America are two values in the church, personal peace and affluence. What do you mean by personal peace? That means if it didn't directly affect me, uh-uh, it's across the street, it's somebody else, I don't want to deal with it. And affluence things, right? Being like the great young ruler, having so much stuff in the church that we can't part with it to do the right thing. We've got to walk away from that, guys. You know, we look at the end of this now. Coming to a close. Pastor say, time to go. All right? I want you to look at this. Matthew 19, look at, those, look at verse 27. Then Peter answered answer Peter, said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and to follow thee. What shall we have therefore? Peter is boldly asking a question that you guys won't come out and say. Might as well. Because God knows your heart. Peter told Jesus, we have forsaken all to come follow you. What do we get? What do we get? What's my cut? Right? You're the man. We're with the man. Right? When do we just start accumulating land and sheep and oxen? Right? When do we get this stuff? What, you, what, what do I get? What do we get for following you? And what did Jesus say? And verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. What was the short answer that Jesus told Peter? What do you get here on earth? Nothing. Now the question is, is that enough for you? Are you willing to take nothing in this life for forsaking all for Jesus? Because if we're really honest, church, where does this racial strife, where does this strife among nations really come? In trying to collect and accumulate and maintain stuff. You got more stuff than me. I want that stuff that you've got. My son could have more stuff if your son wasn't using the law to get stuff that he didn't really deserve. I'm entitled to stuff. You getting free stuff. They promising you free stuff. Where's my stuff? This was all my great-granddaddy's stuff. And why I got to share my stuff with you? You ain't worthy of my stuff. You don't work hard enough for stuff. You haven't paid your dues for stuff. None of that is of Jesus. All of that is of the world. 
When we make a personal choice, when we decide that we're going to be followers of Christ, then we will understand that all he has promised us is not in this world, but in the next. And we will turn the stuff loose and we will become stewards of what God has given us. When we look at the tithes, it won't be that 10% is God and 90% is ours. 100% is God's. Do with this thing what you will, Lord. You gave it to me, you can take it away. I don't have to fight a man for the stuff that I have because my God gave me what I have. I'm not going to manipulate stuff. Scarcity, right? Because things have value according to, right, their scarcity, right? So sand in Egypt has no value, but water has great value, right? Palmettos here in Camden County got zero. What can you get for a palmetto bush? Nothing, right? Because there's no desire for it. But guess what? To that palmetto bush, hey, man, he is everything. And so I just challenge you today, as the pastor is coming, to let the stuff go. Quit fighting your brother over stuff. Understand that God is able to do all those things that are impossible with man and make them possible for you. Justice, freedom, love is possible in Christ. I love this man. We ride motorcycles separately. We've never ridden them together. He jumps out of perfectly good airplanes. I would never jump out of an airplane. We've never eaten dinner together. Our families have never eaten together. But if I had to die for him today, I would because I believe in his commitment to the word of God. Understand, guys, this isn't about us becoming bestest of friends. This isn't about us being in each other's face all the time. Right? This isn't about, you know, I got to always be at your house and you got to always be at mine. This is about in your house and in my house, are we serving the Lord? Because if we do that, then when we have the opportunity to come together, it won't be as Democrats or Republicans. It won't be as Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter. It won't be as conservatives or liberals. When we have the opportunity to come together, and we will, we will need one another, it will be as children of the Most High God. Amen. That is an impossibility with man that was made possible by God. Thank you. Amen. Let's give him a hand. Come on. Amen. What an awesome, awesome job. You may be seated. Uh, thank you, Dr. Brantley, and uh, for bringing such a powerful, powerful word in both services today. But God. Amen. How about that? The impossibility of America. What is impossible with man, God somehow made possible. What an incredible message. And uh, I believe it's a challenge for you and I. Amen to see beyond what we see right now. I'll guarantee you, I, I didn't realize that, uh, that black men got the right to vote before women did. Um, I learned something today, amen. Not just that, but um, so many things that he brought out that uh, lets me know that, uh, that God has this thing in control, regardless what man would want you to believe, and that all things do work together for the good of them that love God. Don't think that you know, uh, th all of this caught God by surprise. You know, the rioting in the streets or wherever it's at, it's no news to him. He knew about it, and he's going to make provision, and somehow God's going to work through all of this. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. I'm gonna, just go ahead and stand with me, if you will, one more time. I'm sorry for the calisthenics here, but uh, I want us to just go to him in prayer because it was just... A week and a half ago, the Lord laid this on my heart that we as a church need to lead the way. And I believe that. And it doesn't matter what color our skin is, that I believe God wants us to be, uni to be united and unified as a church. And I think the world looks 
at us. And so many times when the church is backbiting and bickering, and you know we're in the black section or the white section or the Hispanic or whatever, we can't even get our own self together. And yet, I mean, the world's saying, why not? I need to go down there. They're just as divided as we are. So uh, I want us to just go to him right now. And uh, matter of fact, I want you, if you would, would you just join hands with one that is near you? Just uh, as a sign of unity. I know, oh, by the way, let me thank you so much for Wednesday night. Wednesday night, we had an amazing crowd of people here. And we circled around this entire sanctuary. Uh, some of it we doubled up. But nonetheless, just a human chain uh, together, holding hands, praying, and believing God. So right now, uh, I want you, if, since you're in the second service, to go tonight to YouTube and search for the Harbor Worship Center. When you find our logo, click that and subscribe, and you'll see the latest message, um, which will be these two, um, <clears throat> the impossibility of America, which you've just now heard, but also the choice of America, which we heard in the 9 o'clock. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer right now, but, but take the time when you get home tonight to check those messages out. They'll be up by this evening, I'm sure. Let us pray. Father, I first want to thank you, Lord, for sending your servant our way. Lord, I want to thank you for the truth that uh, he unveiled for us today. I want to thank you, Lord, for using him in an awesome way, Lord, to bring truth, uh, to, to bring questions to us, Lord, to ask us about accountability, to ask us about family, about truth, about God, to set before us choices to make, Lord, to show us that we are where we are today because of God, because man couldn't have brought us to this point. It was impossible, but God brought us to this point. So we cannot put our hope in any man. We cannot put our hope in any culture or any race or any ethnic group. We have to put our trust in the Lord. So God, we say that we, we need you and we trust you. And Lord, today we're challenged to go to a deeper level with you, to give up our things if necessary, to be willing to any and everything, Lord, that we might have you. I'm reminded of that man who found a treasure in a field, and I know that treasure represents truth. I know that treasure represented the Lord, and the Bible says that he took everything he had and he went and sold everything that he might be able to buy that field because in that field contained a treasure, uh, in, in that field, there was a treasure. He was willing to give up everything else he had in order to have that treasure. And Lord, the challenge to us is, are we willing to give up our sometimes our peace, sometimes our comfort, sometimes our things, sometimes money, whatever it is, relationship, whatever it is, God, are we willing to give it all up in order to be right with you? I don't have to be right in my own eyes. I don't have to win the argument. But if I can just lift you up, oh God, if you're lifted up, then truly you will draw all men unto you. So I give you praise, Lord, today for what you're going to do. Take us, Lord, and may we be salt and light to this earth, to this community right, right now, Lord. May we go out, Lord. And be the hand of the Lord extended, the feet of the Lord walking through Camden County, the voice of the Lord as we talk to our neighbors, regardless of color, creed, race, whatever. I pray that we be unified, Lord, and that we be ambassadors for Christ, not any particular person, not any particular church, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. God bless you. Please make your way, if you will, or get to Dr. Brantley. Let him know how much you enjoyed the message.